I'm a time lord. I'm from the planet Gallifrey in the constellation of Castelbrus. I hope the ears are a bit less conspicuous this time. You might be a doctor, but I am. I'm a doctor. That's probably not the one you expect. Absolutely fantastic. All of time and space, everything that ever happened or ever will. Where do you want to start? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Figure on the Inside, new Who Dogs Who Watch Long podcast. Smooth. I'm Harry, joined as always by my co host Tim. Um, we, we had a moment there. What happened uh, there? Is it because I recorded the podcast? Well, normally, normally, for the last few weeks, I've been the one who's been recording the podcast. And then, mm. because I'm the one who puts on the board, I'm the one who does the intro. But this time, Tim was recording. But evidently he was expecting me to still do the intro. But I, I thought we kind of I thought we kind of unspokenly agreed that whoever records is the one who does the introduction, but clearly uh, not. Okay. Clearly not. No, clearly no. <laughs> series four no. is your series, Harry. It's all yours. And series five, I, sh- I shall return victorious. After having killed you. Yeah. So there's um for the first time in a while, we've got um actual Doctor Who news. Actual um, news. Before we get to the actual Doctor Who. Yeah. Before we get to the actual news, uh, Tim still found a couple of uh, things that he usually finds, you know, stocking fillers. Can I also apologise for last week's podcast? Because it was, it was, I, I think it, it was, was the hottest time. day of the year. It's still quite hot today, but not as hot. Um, I listened back to that podcast and uh, for when it comes to um, putting a video together for like a midweek YouTube video and then I couldn't find like a single time where a conversation correctly like flowed about the thing we were meant to be talking about without one of us just suddenly going oh it's hot (laughs) or just just sweating away or disappearing to get a drink or just not knowing what was going on so apologies for that but hopefully um, this week we will be back to our normal form yeah, hopefully. So on that point, shall we move to this uh, first uh, article which you sent me, which is a Guardian article, we're getting classy. Um, although I, I have to say, um, this guy, uh, Martin Bellum, makes um, some all right points, but I can't say I agree with him. Um, and you'll see why the title of this article is Why is Time for Doctor Who to Die? <laughs> You think he's not a big fan of the series, Harry? Well, he says he is. In the in the um, in the article, he kind of says that he grew up loving the show. He loved the revival, but he thinks that it's run its course. Um, okay. The issue is that when it comes to the issue that I mainly have with this article is that he doesn't give any problems with the show itself. He just kind of says, "Well, there's." It can't compete with other TV shows on streaming services, and that the show have benefited from the last break. So let's do that okay. again. But then, therefore, yeah. it would only just come back and have the same problems anyway, in my opinion, because that's why it got canned anyways, because people were watching stuff like X Files and these other sort of, well, not really X Files, but like these other big American series that were just starting to come over to the UK when Doctor Who got cancelled. Because that was still sort of, yeah. at that time, Doctor Who was sort of seen as a joke panto sort of show. So if you're going to cancel it, well, you're only going to wait another 15 argument. years, it's going to happen again. 
Yeah, but I mean, that's the argument it makes. But the argument that they make is they compare it to stuff like the Marvel MCU TV shows, stuff like okay. WandaVision and Loki. Yeah. And honestly, I've not watched Loki. I know lots of people have compared Loki to Doctor Who, but I yeah. don't have a stance on that. I've seen WandaVision, and it's just, without commenting what I think about WandaVision, it's a very different show. It's a very different mm. program. Other than the fact that they both have kind of sci-fi slash science fantasy elements yeah. um, very front and center. They're not the same thing. And I don't really feel like it's a strong enough case to just say this show is a bigger budget and can do more things, which makes Doctor Who look lacking, especially since the latest series of Doctor Who, you know, I don't feel like they've been limited by their budget by any means. You know, they go yeah. doing all kinds of location shoots. They've got... Notably improved special effects. So for me, I don't feel like that argument holds complete water. Yeah, and later on, later on in the podcast, we'll, we will get to the series thirteen stuff, the trailer, the Comic Con panel, and without spoiling what I think of that, it's very clear that the the, the special effects have improved, and there is definitely a, 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 the budget doesn't seem to be a problem. That said, uh, I would be lying if it hasn't crossed my mind to think what if the BBC were to partner Doctor Who with another studio and sort of allow it to maybe have more of a growth, you know, maybe like back in from Amazon and maybe make it a, an Amazon Prime thing, you know, something like that, sort of something where you you would maybe have a limitation in how much you could watch it because it wouldn't be, maybe it would be shown on Amazon before it was shown on the BBC or something like that. But I think it could benefit from... Uh, a further backing not to say that I don't think the budget's a problem but sometimes you do notice it and you go oh that's a bit naff compared to something else but um, I think it, it, it walks a fine line Doctor Who with that sort of stuff it's on a tightrope it can very easily fall off it and sort of be very corny again but a lot of the times it seems to just do do just right but then that's strange as well because then you look at other BBC programs like his Dark Materials and stuff like that um, which I don't think is just a solid BBC program. I think that's BBC and someone else, I want to say. HBO, maybe? I want to say it was some kind of American collaboration. I know it's the most expensive BBC drama they've ever produced. Yeah. I didn't I know, like, watch it. Yeah, I think like BBC also had some input in Good Omens as well. Um, which yeah, is that Amazon was well. yeah, yeah, so I think maybe doing something like that with Doctor Who would be maybe beneficial. I guess the sticking point, though, is that the Doctor Who, the TV show, has always been, with the exception of something like the TV movie, it's always been solely kind of a BBC property and a BBC production. And I guess people could perhaps react, like, if it was to be part of a different show, it could be perceived as, oh, Doctor Who is being sold out or something like that. Personally, yeah. I don't really believe that myself. Especially looking at like kind of Amazon shows like Good Omens, like you say, like those are that's quality television. Um, yeah. but I can imagine kind of people perceiving it in a certain light, especially because it's kind of this national institution. Yeah. I mean, like if, if they were to do that, so let's just pick Amazon as an example. I I don't think I would have a problem with it. 
um, as long as they kept, say it happened for series 14 and it's still Jody and everybody, as long as they kept the same team and there wasn't like a hard cut off, we're starting again with a new creative team and we're forcing Jody to regenerate, nothing like that. As long as it sort of just is, you, you don't want to notice it as a viewer. You don't want to see that there's been a change. You want it to be an organic thing. And I think as long as that were to happen, it would be okay. Um, but like, I was a big fan of Loki. I really enjoyed Loki. And I watched today when I was at the gym, I watched um, on Disney Plus um, Assembled, I think they're called, which are like the behind the scenes documentaries of WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki. And I was watching the Loki one and it's just amazing, like the production of those shows. And then for this podcast, we've been rewatching a lot of Confidential and I know they're like 10 or so years old, but then you still look at stuff like you know, like Marvel movies, I know they're movies and it's slightly different from 10 years ago, or even like stuff like Breaking Bad and Game of Thrones from 10 years ago, which still had, you know, not the greatest effects in the world that they had later, but they were still great. And I do feel like Doctor Who could do with that just that little bit of push to help those effects. I mean, for me, I guess it's a question of whether Doctor Who should even be trying to do that, whether the Doctor Who should be trying to compete with these huge blockbusters or whether they should just try and do their own thing. Yeah, Because right, course, right yeah. now, I feel like the show is definitely... It's not doing it all the time, but they're like, if you look at something like... Rev, was it Revolution or Revelation, the most recent one? Revelation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, Revelation, in Revelation of Daleks, I remember I was watching it with my family, kind of one of them commented when all the Daleks are flying on shooting each other, ooh, they're getting a bit Star Wars-y, aren't they? Oh, uh, really? <laughs> Yeah, and so currently, I feel like, at least for those holiday specials, the show is trying to kind of be blockbustery. But that's kind of how it's always been since the revival. Yeah. They've always kind of had big, explosive special effects finales. But I guess it's a question of, should they be doing that? Should, maybe, should they, they be trying to do that? Or should they just kind of try and be more of a niche thing? And that's another thing which this article actually brings up. They kind of say that they've been escalating and escalating series finales to a point in which it's kind of they can't go lower now because like they've set the bar too high and that's okay. i mean i don't know if that's another reason because if you have a break and come back that bar's still going to be there yeah exactly sure. i think I, I, I to retract everything that i've just said as well i don't necessarily oh, think I'm sorry oh, yeah, i've got no a worries. phone call i'm really sorry oh, hello. Harry just got a terrible phone call, everybody. It turns out he's an idiot. <laughs> got him. Uh, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Uh, to uh, retract everything that I said a second ago, um, I, I think that necessar- Doctor Who doesn't necessarily... Sorry, what am I trying to say here? Having a bigger budget just so you can do better effects doesn't necessarily improve the storytelling. I think it, you could tell a really good Doctor Who story on a limited budget and it would still be really enjoyable. I don't necessarily think you have to have a big budget just to try and sell a season finale. You could have a really well-written, contained, low-budget episode and it would just be as good. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. I want to ask you, um, how would you feel if the show were to go on a break or a hiatus? Like, back in the 80s, 90s, if we had a wilderness period? I don't know, because I guess back then that wasn't a, hi- a hiatus or a break, was it? It just got cancelled. And... We only yeah. call it a hiatus because Russell brought it back. Um, and I sometimes feel like because we've had 
Uh, oh, I don't know. Okay, so there's two reasons, there's like a couple of ways I look at it. So there's the fact that between seasons we've had quite big breaks anyway, which I quite like because I like to forget how much I like it so that when it comes back I can get excited again rather mm. than something like The Flash where it's like, okay, you've got six weeks off, everybody come back again and love it again. I'm like, oh, give me a break from this. Um, not that I watch The Flash anymore. Uh, and then also I sometimes think oh, maybe maybe it is coming to the end of its current run maybe that doesn't necessarily mean it has to go on a break but maybe like I, i'll read like to echo what i said a minute ago the backing of something else maybe bring somebody else in to help support the show because i think in that article they also mentioned like call the midwife is like the only show on the bbc that's currently had that long of a of an airtime of like 11 years or whatever it is and mm-hmm. um, i can't stand call the midwife i really don't like it but like I watched a few episodes of it because people in my family watch it and it just seems to be the same stuff. And I feel like maybe that's how outsiders of Doctor Who look at Doctor Who's going, ah, another Dalek episode, another, you know, I feel like it needs something to help revive it and revamp it without it necessarily being taken off the air. And I don't necessarily think that's just recasting the Doctor again or anything like that. Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting, especially with uh, what was announced at Comic-Con, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, I mean, exactly, My yeah. thoughts, just to get really quickly, if the show was to be... I feel like if the show was to stop, cease production, I don't think it would be seen as a uh, cancellation. I feel mm. like because we kind of had the present set due to the last wilderness period, uh, that the show is going to come back because the fan base is always going to be there. Yeah, I feel like they couldn't brand it as a cancellation. They would brand it as kind of the show's taking a break, but it will be back. And then as soon as the show's gone, like right now, like it seems there's loads of people, even beyond this article, I've seen people saying, when Doctor Who going to go off air? As soon as it's gone, the question everyone's going to ask is, when's it going to back? Gonna work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel and like I honestly, it's going to be seen. Sorry, go on. Honestly, the way the show currently is and the way its fan base currently is, I can't imagine the show being gone for more than five years at most. I was going to say, yeah. I feel if if they were to do something like, say, like, we're going to halt it for a little bit and work out what we're going to do with it, if they were to do that, they would therefore also need to say, Doctor Who's going away, but Doctor Who will return in 2025 or something like that. They would need to give a date. Do you know what I mean? Just Mm. to keep people happy. Absolutely, yeah. Leaves people with something to anticipate. Yeah. Um, yeah, there you go. I sort of don't yeah. want it to be cancelled, but if it did, I would understand why. Yeah. That's my okay, so me. moving on from the show, we've got a piece of a big finish news for the week, which is Woo-hoo. that uh, Freema Agman is returning as Martha Jones in a new audio adventure. Hooray! Uh, I think we've spoken about this very fluently in the past, in that Martha went on to do Torch. Sorry, Martha. Freema went on to do Torchwood as Martha after Doctor Who, and then there was a couple of stuff with Big Finish. But I've always wondered why they never really did more Martha stuff with Big Finish. But then they have sort of announced that they recorded all the like this whole series of stuff back in 2019, and it's been like all of 2020 they didn't announce it or release any of it, and then out of the blue they're like, "Yeah, we, we, we've got this in the vault. Here it comes." Yeah. I wonder, I guess it's just maybe just a pure scheduling thing. They needed to wait for a time period where it would make sense for it to come out. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. yeah. 
And this one was, this special is called the, uh, it's going to be called The Year of Martha Jones. And it's got a very specific time frame, unlike some big finished stories, where this takes place in the kind of year after the sound of the drums for the full last of Time Lords, where mm. Martha is just kind of traveling around the world on her own in the whole kind of post-apocalyptic um, master ruled earth. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm kind of hoping that they um, are able to do some cool stuff, maybe with some former companions in there. Maybe have Martha interact with some people like Ace or Joe Grant or people like that. Maybe just uh, yeah. whatever happens to those. Like in that scenario, did they also forget who the Doctor was? And like, does she just happen yeah. to stumble across a couple of these people? Or maybe there's something in the article. I don't know. One thing which I find very interesting, the only kind of other confirmed cast member other than Freema is Adjua Ando, uh, mm. uh, who played Martha's mum, Francine, and she's coming back. Yeah. Which surprised me because, because isn't she on the Master's helicarrier oh, yeah. kind of ship? Yeah, she's. So does that she, mean yeah. we're going to see, yeah, does that mean we'll obviously also be seeing Trish or Martha's dad or even John Sim's master? I don't yeah. know. I can't. I completely forgot about that. Maybe it's more like a like an inner voice thing. Maybe because I don't imagine there's going to be much like just going to call my mum because <laughs> she's a slave to Johnson. Well, yeah, um, I don't know. That'd be interesting to see how that sort of played in there as well. But yeah, no, I would like. I think yeah. one of the things we said about that era was that it was a very. Um, altered reaction to what they did with Rose which was to have a very fleshed out family and with Martha we knew there was family and we knew there were brothers and sisters, fathers mothers, stepmothers and all that but it was never really fleshed out so it'd be quite, I'd quite like to um, hear more about that Yeah same, yeah it'd be cool to see yeah, yeah. I mean I'm interested to see how exactly they handle it because I can't figure it out right now without also needing to kind of work around the cast members they don't have back unless they do have them back that's all speculation very true very true what else do we have harry is it proper news time that everybody just listened for about comic-con yep it is the uh we've just had our comic-con panel was it san diego comic-con it was and it completely like normally san diego comic-con is like the best weekend ever i love it i never i've never ever been i would love to go but like just staying at home and waiting for the trailers to come out and reading the news and stuff like that. I love it. I get really geeked out by it. But like the last, this one and the one the year before have just been like so dud. There's been like nothing really going on. And I think that might be because Marvel is sort of doing their own panels with Disney now at D23 and Warner Brothers did DC Fandom where they're announcing all their stuff. So that kind of takes that stuff away. So you only really have stuff like, G.I. Joe Snake Eyes or whatever and everybody's like, oh no, I don't really care about this or The Simpsons or something like that you know, stuff that isn't really that groundbreaking news Isn't The Simpsons also D23 now as well? Uh, Yeah, maybe (laughs) I think D23 is more the movie side of stuff though, I think I think it's more the the stuff that Disney care about (laughs) Well, my understanding about D23 is that um, it's kind of something much more for investors. I mean, it is kind of this big public event and there is a marketing side to it, but for the most part, they're kind of appealing to kind of their investors and saying, hey, yeah. look, we're doing all this stuff with our properties. We're going to be making lots of money, so stick around with us. Maybe 
we pump some more money in because it'll yeah it'll, it'll pay pay back yeah definitely so yeah Just maybe I remember the last one. There was loads of Star Wars stuff announced, and I don't really, I don't really think the shareholders at Disney or whatever are like uh, um, uh, that keen. I don't think they invested because of the Simpsons. Do you not think so? I'm sure someone invested because of the Simpsons. Possibly, like one guy. I think most of them were like. It's not not that good anymore, though, is it? Let's be honest. It's not that great. I, I, I've not. What are you talking about? I, I watched uh, I watched the Simpsons episode the other day. It was it was hilarious. Yeah, the new one with uh, where where Seymour ruins the superintendent's roast and then he disguises fast food as his own cooking. It was really funny and fresh. Doctor Who, Harry. It was a bad episode I saw on TV. <laughs> oh well. Um, so. What do you want to do first, Harry? Do you want to do the trailer or do you want to do the panel? Should we do the trailer first? I feel there's less to talk about in the trailer. Yeah, the trailer is kind of... I guess we should be used to it at this point that it's very is very vague. Um, mm. We get kind of a sense of what the show is going to be like, which is pretty similar in tone to Series 12, as far as I could tell. Yeah. Um, it looks much more kind of spacey. There was much more kind of alien stuff as opposed to any kind of time travel stuff. Yeah, that's true. Now, maybe that's because maybe it's just because all the location shooting is kind of still in progress. So the main stuff they had for the trailer was kind of the studio stuff. Yeah. That I'm said, sure. there was a lack of any monsters or aliens reveals at all. We didn't see any monsters, or any aliens. It was all um, Yaz, Dan, and uh, the Doctor. And um, Jacob uh, Andrews, Andrews Anderson, Jacob Anderson, yes, yeah, as um, Vinda. Is it Vinda? Is Vinda? Yeah, Vinda. Yeah, yeah. That looks great. I don't know who he is. (laughs) Um, yeah, I feel obviously he was kind of the big surprise guest reveal, and honestly, I feel like the handling of that on the press side, whether that's the Doctor Who team themselves or the BBC, I'm not sure who's in charge of that. But I feel like they mishandled that with the yeah. whole feeling of as a guest star. Because I know that lots of people, lots of fans are anticipating, even myself anticipating some sort of returning character, some sort yeah. of returning companions along those lines. And I feel like Although never explicitly said that that was what it was, kind of by building up this suspense of this surprise special guest, it got people's minds racing. And then for the payoff to be an actor who has never been on the show before. I mean, I understand he's a very kind of, you know, acclaimed actor. He was in Game of Thrones and stuff like that. He's worked with Chibnall. I think he was in Broadchurch. Yeah, I've seen him in Broadchurch. Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I, I feel I like feel, honestly. I, Go on, sorry. At the end of it, I feel really bad for Andrew because I watched the bit with him in the panel, and he seems like the loveliest guy, and clearly it means so much for him. And he grew up with the show, and he was so excited to be part of it, and the whole experience clearly meant a yeah. lot to him. I'm just worried there's going to be some kind of backlash just because of the way that he was built up and yeah. what people are anticipating. Yeah, before the so I'm, I'm I watched it and I did a video with Harrison about it and I'm sat watching it and the 
they they sort of very early on in the panel said that he was in Game of Thrones, and I'm like, oh, so it's not just no one, it's you know, it's not Alex Kingston or anything. And when it came up and it was Jacob Anderson, I was like, who the heck is who who is this guy? And there was a moment before where the only thing they had revealed was that he was in Game of Thrones, and the second thing they revealed he was a musician, and I just in my head I go, I went. If this is Ed Sheeran, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> this better not be Ed Sheeran. I'm really going to be disappointed. But uh, despite being disappointed that it wasn't a returning character, what they revealed about him, the fact that he has his own ship, he's on the TARDIS, his character's name is Vinda, he has a cool costume. I think there is going to be um, some cool reveals about this character. The fact that we haven't seen a single leak this is what I love about this series or this era of Doctor Who is that a lot of stuff gets leaked. Weeping Angels, Sontarans, John Bishop and all that stuff. But something like that, like a whole cast member who is clearly a critical part of the series, I have, I just haven't seen anything. And I've got like my finger on the pulse of Doctor Who bullshit every week we report on it every week and like the fact we did none of this ever happened or you didn't hear this name appear or such and such was seen on set or anything like that i think it's crazy that they they're still able to keep these things a secret which then makes me think and i I don't want to say something like this because i i don't i often find the doctor who fandom is also like the marvel fandom which is that we just anticipate returning characters and reveals that one character is actually a different character and i feel that leads to disappointment um, but the fact that they just hadn't announced um, Jacob's involvement in it makes me think, what's the significance of his role? Okay, but yeah. what, what are you thinking the significance of his role could be? Obviously, I mean, he's clearly going to be a recurring character throughout this series, uh, yeah. in lieu of, of River Song or something like that. Yeah. That they're not yeah, that... for companions, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it makes me think. Obviously, the 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 first ones that come to mind are: Are they a variation of a time lord? Are they a master? Are they Rani? Is it the future Doctor? Is it a past Doctor? You know, stuff like that. And then, like you sort of go, is it a version of River Song? Because River Song can regenerate. So if River Song can regenerate, can she turn change sex? If she can change sex, is she now a dude? Is it a relation to Captain Jack Harkness? Is it something like that? Do you know what I mean? And I feel like we you, we are gonna get. Um, Captain Jack vibes from this character, just from the from the outfit, just from that one still image. I sort of feel like we're going to get those, and from what John said in the panel as well, he's sort of saying like he's this action hero rather than an adventurer. Mm. Yeah, but I'm, I, so I, I went from being quite disappointed to actually being quite excited, and I feel there was a lot of stuff revealed in this panel, especially about the format of the series, the fact that it's going to be one continuous story told over six episodes, which I think is something that we've been saying they should do for a long time. Um, that was really good news. Yeah, that's honestly, I think that's the biggest piece of news to come from this panel. And like you said, like I think there is a lot of positives about um, Jacob Anderson. And I am excited to see what he brings. I think, I feel like there's definitely more to him than we know. And I'm excited yeah. to see what those are. Um, especially, I feel like if they're drawing attention to him specifically of all recurring cast members, because Chibnall said there were other recurring characters about this series other than um, Binder. So I'm yeah. interested to see why they've highlighted him specifically. Um, but yeah, I think despite that, and that being a really big thing, I think that the biggest piece of news is that this is going to be one long eight-part series. Mm. And I, 
And considering the new episodes of Doctor Who are kind of 15, 20 minutes longer than Classic Who, does that mean this is going to be the longest single Doctor Who story there's ever been? Uh, possibly, yeah. Because, yeah, like you say, you look at Classic Doctor Who and like, one story is like three episodes long. Um, but this is... I'm so excited they're doing this, man, because it's it looks back at Russell's stuff where there was that sort of... There's always a theme or a motive through each series that Russell did, and then a little bit through Stevens. Then when Chibnall took over, and towards the end of Stevens' run, it's kind of phased out. But then to go back to Loki, I, I only keep mentioning that because it's the most recent new series I've watched. Um, to go back to that, there is a series arc, and it's there's a there's a there's just a story that they tell perfectly over six episodes, rather than trying to tell um, quite dense forty five minute stories. And I feel that's this is great. I mean. Because it keeps people coming back. Because if you get to the end of episode three and they've solved the de- they've saved the day again, you're going to tune into episode four and go, like, oh, they're going to do it again. But if each week's a cliffhanger and each week there's a reveal or something you're not certain about, it's going to keep people coming back. The thing that makes me curious, though, is that we kind of know because of the location shooting and the monsters that they're going to be encountering a lot of things in this one long running story. So I'm just wondering how much of a through line is it going to be? Will there be all one big story? Or is it going to be they finish one story and then there's a cliffhanger for the next one? Kind of you think um, Sontaran's stratagem going into the Doctor's Daughter, that kind of those are separate stories, but one ends with a cliffhanger for the next one. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. I think there's going to be a goal for the series, a character goal let's say we need to retrieve this item we need to get this parcel to someone we need to save this but you know something like that and the series is them trying to complete that mission each episode they encounter a various obstacle that stops them um in their paths whether that be weeping angels on tower and as possible zygons you know things like that okay that could be interesting that could be interesting yeah Yeah. i I mean i there's, I mean, you have just very little to work with. Um, kind of part of me is excited because I feel like this format could potentially work very much to Chibnall's strengths as a writer. Because I feel like Definitely. the t- times when I've been the most gripped by Chibnall is when he's throwing like stuff at us and we're like, whoa, what? Hang on. Like, I feel like the best example is something like Fugitive of the Doom, where yeah. in series 12, that episode introduced us with so many things and so many questions. It was like, well, shit, I just, I, I gotta keep, I gotta know how this goes, gotta see what happens. And it like, even harkens back to kind of Broadchurch, where there were certain things and plot developments that would come up in Broadchurch where you're just like, oh shit, that's happening. Okay, yeah. I, got, I gotta, I just gotta see this through. I feel like Chibnall is very good at kind of planting those seeds and those kind of little bits of mystery and hooking you in that way. So I feel like Definitely. if it's going to be one big continuous story, this could really play to his strengths. Yeah, I, I've never thought Chibnall isn't a good writer, and I've never thought that he isn't capable of running Doctor Who. He's not my favourite showrunner, um, and this era hasn't been one of the strongest but I know that he can do a good job, but I feel like the struggle has been trying to find where Chibnall fits in in the new Doctor Who and where Doctor Who fits in in television. And I feel it's taken two seasons... Sorry, I'm fiddling. Uh, It's taken two seasons for those clogs to mesh and for it to fit. And I feel this is Mm -hmm. going to be the one where 
it works quite well. And it's like like what we've said so many times on the podcast is that he's, he listens to the fans. Series one was all individual stories with all new monsters, which is fine, but people were sold on that. Series two, I know it's not series two, but the second series, there was a, more of an arc and some returning characters, the Doom were back and Jack came back. And then in his third series, it seems there's going to be a lot of returning monsters and it's all one storyline. And I think it's great. What was it? Harrison said something to me the other day. Um, he said that Jody's first episode got 10 million viewers. It was the second highest rated. Oh, it, no, sorry. It, no, not 10 million. I can't, no, I can't remember. Oh, yeah, peak. I can't remember. But it was just below Christopher Eccleston's debut episode in viewing figures. And he said it was a disappointment that the rest of that series didn't keep those people invested. And I feel the way they're going to do that is by doing a prop, I say proper, not to undermine anything that they've done before, but by doing a a continued story that is going to keep people coming back. Mm, Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And um, it is very interesting that kind of Series 11 compared to this series, at least what we know about Series 13, they couldn't be more different. Like you said, like series 11, all new monsters, all standalone stories. And this is literally could not be further from that. Yeah. I just find it very interesting that kind of, it seems kind of chivalrous with each series has been just trying something radically different. And perhaps this complete U-turn from where he started is going to be just what he needs. And so we'll get to this and be like, ah, okay, this is what modern Doctor Who is now. Because people yeah. have been saying for a while that kind of it's been doing the same format since 2005 and it does need some kind of shake-up. This is the most radical shake-up the show has had since its revival. Yeah. This could be it. This could pave the way for what Doctor Who is now. You know, this yeah. could be really good. Like, people, you know, there's loads of people talking about, like, oh, when's Chibnall going to leave? This is going to be Chibnall's last series, yada, yada. Is that? It could potentially be. <laughs> I, you... This is like, you know, in like the deep depth of comments. Oh, it's not. It's every comment uh, we get. <laughs> right. Okay. No, maybe not that. I literally got um, one just as I was falling asleep last night. It was brilliant. I'll send you it later. <laughs> um, but um, it's, uh, it could potentially be that those kind of people after this, so they'll be saying, what's he going to do next? Yeah. And maybe something be the thing of like, oh, okay. Maybe I'd like to see more from this guy. Yeah, hopefully. I yeah. hope so. Because I, I really dislike the fact that a lot of I'm people not... hate on it. I'd rather people were constructive about it and say, oh, I didn't like this, but I really like the fact they did this, rather than just go, oh, I, don't, I don't like women, or whatever whatever they're shouting at me this week in the comments. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've always kind of been... My when it comes to Doctor Who, because I feel like Doctor Who is not an X, Y, and Z, because the show has never been X, Y, and Z. It's been anything but formulaic. Some, yeah. Sometimes, um, sometimes they don't have a TARDIS and they're in a military base for ages. Sometimes, yeah. you know, that it's a duo. Sometimes it's a full team. Sometimes it's a fam. Sometimes it's a gang. Sometimes they're companions. Sometimes they're mates. Sometimes they're friends. Sometimes it's the master, sometimes it's Missy, yada, yada, yada. This is a show that thrives on not being the same thing. 
exactly. I love it. Um, slightly conscious of how long we've been gabbing on for, Harry. Is there any more news? Oh, Dan, Dan, Dan is called Dan Lewis. That's his name, isn't it? Yeah, Dan, Dan, Dan Lewis. Lewis. Why do you think they kept that a secret? <laughs> I don't think it was a conscious decision to keep it a secret. They didn't treat it as a big reveal in the panel. They just kind of no, said, they didn't. Nah. I want to ask what your thoughts on kind of John Bishop as a whole. He looks great, doesn't he? He looks so good in this series. A lot of comic relief, it seems. Really fun. I feel like he's going to be uh, a, a contender to be my favourite character of this uh, of this era. I kind of just hope that he's not another Graham. Yeah, it doesn't seem like he's going to be. It I seems really like there's going to be a lot more... Um, um, Graham was sort of somebody who seemed to be in disbelief all the time, going, oh, God, bloody believe this. Or what, you know, he wasn't Yorkshire. But do, do you know what I mean? Whereas John Bishop, John Bishop, oh, it's going to be more hands on and involved, but just absolutely loving it, like John Bishop actually seemed to be. Like, there's a, there's a couple of clips in the trailer where they're doing like an Indiana Jones style thing and he just falls from the roof and lands flat on his face. And I thought that was hilarious. Well, it was very funny. And then there's another shot where he seems to be going down like a, a like a slide thing with loads of lights going past him. And he looks like a character who's just going to get straight stuck in and, and love it straight away. Yeah. I find it interesting that kind of, it didn't seem that he is a long time fan of the show. He kind of said that once he got the role, Kind of almost similar to Matt Smith, he went back and watched the series. So I think John watched all of the revival series up to this point. Yeah, and it is interesting that I mean, I obviously um, I actually think that's a really good thing. Um, I think it's cool that kind of this outsider has kind of completely immersed themselves and thrown themselves into it, and it shows that kind of it's almost more than just a long time fan of the show being involved. It's kind of someone who has that level of commitment to completely immerse themselves in this world before they yeah. themselves have thrown themselves into it. And it's like what Jacob and John said. They both said, like, the first day of, like, doing promo photos and you turn around and you can see the TARDIS doors, to not the police box doors, but the doors to the interior. And you're like... You, like John said, he, he knew what it was. He, he, it's, like, so ingrained in everybody's conscious what a TARDIS is and... To, you don't have to be a Doctor Who fan to know the significance of being on that set. I imagine, like, I'm not a massive Star Trek fan, but if someone was to say, hey, do you want to come visit Captain's Bridge and sit in the chair? Like, hell yeah, do I, I want to do that right now? And I'm not even a Star Trek fan, but you want to do it in the same way that before I was a Star Wars fan, I want to play chess on the Millennium Falcon and stuff like that. You, there's all this stuff you want to do just because it's iconic. Um, so I like that yeah. the, the, the two new cast members are, are, seem to be as excited as we are. Yeah, I mean, there probably isn't a, a more iconic set on British TV than the TARDIS interior. Except the TARDIS interior and the Bake Off Bent. The Bake Off Bent? The Bake Off Tent. I also would add the uh, Rover's Return in there if you're yeah. British. Um, yeah. Outside of Britain, awesome. no one will have any idea what that is. <laughs> That's true. The TARDIS, the Bake Off tent, the Rover's Return, and uh, possibly, I don't know, uh, Danny Dyer's The Wall. What's Danny Dyer's The Wall? Have you not seen it on BBC's like the game show by hosted by Danny Dyer? It's, there's like a big wall, and he's like, are you are you hard enough to put a disc in the wall? And it's like, 
a disc falls down. A, it's like a like a twenty foot high wall, like a glass wall with pins in it, and someone at the top like drops a ball, and at the bottom there's like different money, and if the ball falls in the right thing, you win the money. Oh, it's, a, it's a it's a mix between tipping point and that one that Stephen Mulhern does where he rolls a pound coin or something. Oh, um, is it called rolling in it? it? Yeah, it's I like a mix really between those two. Yeah. But it's done by Danny Dyer and it's um, not very good. I'm a little disappointed that Danny Dyer's The Wall isn't involved. Do you remember that other BBC show, The Wall, where the people, like, it's like the big styrofoam wall thing and there's What's like a silhouette? It? Hole in the Wall. Was that called Hole in the Wall? Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, was bring great. on the wall! Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's a fun show. That should come back. I'd watch that. Cool I'd, yeah, I've watched the war. They thought that was the war. Yeah. Any other news, Harry? Is that all all done? I think that's all of our news for this week. Cool beans. Uh, everybody listen to these fun jingles. Oh, no. Nah. Lead us into the into the watch along, Harry, which is um yeah, have fun with I this. Have to do that. <laughs> I feel like I, mean, I can't even remember the name of one of the episodes. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can now. Yeah. Like, listen, do, do we have to do this? It's getting so quickly complicated. I feel like... It's a Sontaran one, kind of... everybody, for watching the Sontaran one this week. I just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, we need to figure out some kind of new approach, some new tactic. For oh, is this part of it? Oh, sorry. <laughs> But I don't know. I don't even know, man. I don't. I don't. I'm getting really pushed with these, you know. Like, how are we meant to? I mean, I feel like just we need to put more thought into how we do these transitions. You know, we need some kind of. Is this part of the transition, or are you generally having a breakdown? I don't know, Tim. I just need some kind of new way into this. Some kind of new like approach or tactic like you know like we need to actually break this down militaristic like like i don't know like now like the we need to go like actual sontaran on this ship man we need some kind of like sontaran like strategy oh, i don't know man i'm like it's so fucking warm today like i don't know if this is like pollution or what like have we got like poison skies now or i don't know Oh, it, that was horrible to watch. <laughs> well, good thing this is a podcast and you can't see our faces. <laughs> I was just watching a, a man have a breakdown in his room whilst trying to w- talking whilst trying to work out what words he was going to say next to lead him into a random episode of Doctor Who. Um, so it catches on the flip side of these jingles for um, us talking. If you didn't guess, we're doing the Sontaran ones this week. The Sontaran Stratagem and um, the Poison Sky. So stick around for those. And I'll see you on the next. Humans are better in one respect. You are better at subscribing. Seek, locate, subscribe. What's the point in having you all?
Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second part of Big on the Inside the New Who Doctor Watch on Podcast, where we talk about episodes of Doctor, and it's really fun, isn't it, Harry? Yeah, uh, c- can you hear that, Tim? <laughs> Not again. <laughs> I honestly, I don't know how long it's going to go on for. Uh, this is the second time I want to say this series that your alarm has cut off. If it's not distracting, we can power through it and just make it a really intense episode. <laughs> I'll tell you what we'll do, guys. We'll pause this. We'll find we'll find out if Harry's going to die in a fire or something horrible, and then, and then we'll come back. Hello, listeners. I'm very sorry to announce that, unfortunately, during that short break, Harry Murdoch perished in a, in a terrible engulf. Um, unfortunately, he was doing some bird's eye chicken fillets, and uh, took his attention off them very briefly and um, is no longer here. How do you feel about that, Harry? It was very irresponsible of me. It was very irresponsible. That's the second time that alarm's gone off. Anyway, as I was saying, welcome to the second part of Big on the Inside, the new Who Doctor Watch podcast, where we watch episodes of Doctor Who. Um, Harry, what have we been watching this time around? The Sontaram Stratagem and The Poison Sky by Helen Rayner. Yeah, her second and final instalment in the world of televised Doctor Who. Last season, we saw her with the Daleks of Manhattan and Evolution of the Daleks. Um, straight off the back, I'm going to say that this is a vast improvement of those two episodes. Um, but I'll get into what I think later. Harold, what do you think of these episodes? I feel like these episodes, they really have a much stronger idea of kind of what Helen wants to do with Doctor Who as a writer, which is something very silly, very goofy, but still in keeping with Doctor Who and a lot of fun. Yeah. So the episodes revolve, evolve, revolve around the return of the Sontarans, who were... Did you know who they were when this episode came out? Had you seen them before? I'd never seen them before, no. I think I, I hadn't seen an episode, but I knew who they were, and I knew they were... A, a returning monster who I hadn't seen before. Uh, I think they had only been in Doctor Who four times before their return in New Who. Um, do you think a key to a character's lasting legacy is a lot of it is down to design rather than just I think story? so. I, I reckon so. And also just the concept. For sometimes, like you had said, they have a very distinctive design of this kind of very imposing figure. And then they have that very striking face underneath it. And also the fact that these are a race of kind of built around war and warfare, and that is their whole existence. And even down to the fact that they're genetically designed to not be able to face away from their enemy. Yeah. And I think that combined with the design is what has made them so uh, long lasting. Yeah. Um, so let's start at the start of the episode. Um, is this the first mention of unit that we get in New Who? I think it is, isn't it? I feel like there might have been a mention of unit um, in series one in Aliens of London and World War Three, perhaps, or at least an allusion to unit. But I think yeah. this is the first time they were mentioned by name. Yeah, I think it's the first time we see them as well. Go on, speak. Now you've put that biscuit in your mouth. <laughs> Say something. Don't coward away. 100%. <laughs> um, 
for everybody who can't see, if I just have a half quickly put a biscuit, biscuit on my desk. But he finished talking, uh, deliberately asked him a question. Um, yeah. So the first time we see Unit back on screen. Um, oh, also, Martha's back. But we'll get into that. There's a lot going on in this episode. Um, mm. I want to talk to you about Atmos, though. Had you noticed that Atmos stickers were appearing in cars throughout the series so far? I had I had not. I had not. That's very observant of you to pick that up. Yeah, if you watch um, Partners in Crime, you'll notice a taxi that comes to pick up um, the woman who just blew up into lots of different adiposes. The taxi has an Atmos sticker in the window, so I would imagine that taxi driver is now dead. Uh, but somebody who isn't dead is Martha Jones, who has her first returning role, and actually one of the first Doctor Who characters to return outside of their main series, really. We had... I, I don't really think Rose and Mickey and all that sort of count, because they sort of lasted Series 1 to Series 2. I suppose there's Jack, who returned in Series 3, um, last seen in Series 1, and now, of course, Martha, last seen in Series 3, returning in Series 4. Um, how did you feel about the return of Martha? I thought it was good to see her again. It's been a while. It felt like a while, and there's definitely some character development there with her as well. Yeah. It's just cool that kind of this era of the show had this kind of cast of characters which weren't temporary, that they stuck around even after they were out of the spotlight, that they still had some form of presence in the show. And it's cool to kind of in addition to that we get to see where they are now compared to where we left them off obviously um characters like jack and mickey are in very different places when we saw them come back and martha is in a very very different place when her character comes back that's true one thing is she's engaged to tom milligan nice little callback there to uh, someone who we last saw in uh, the final episode of uh, series three um, I want to know what happens to him. Does he get killed or something? I can't remember. But when we last see Martha chronologically in the show, she's dating Mickey. Married to Mickey. M- married to Mickey, yeah. So um, I wonder what um, what happens there. So was it, was it nice to see the return of Martha? What did you think to her character development? I think it was cool. Um, from kind of where we were left off with Martha, especially in Last of the Time Lords, this feels like a very natural place for her character to go after her doing all that adventuring and dangerous stuff on her own. It makes sense for her to join something like Unit. Yeah, I like that as well, that they're sort of building up on these backstories of characters and sort of giving them a history where we can pop in and out of quite fleetingly. Something that sort of seems to be lost from um, Doctor Who in recent years. Um, uh, What else do we have here? There's a... This, there's a lot going on in this episode, so a lot of my notes are kind of spread out a lot over the place. But let's talk about uh, that dynamic, the Doctor, Martha and Donna. Um, I like how they played with Donna not really caring that there have been people before her compared to other companions. Yeah, It does feel like almost a juxtaposition to School Reunion, where Rose and um, Sarah Jane had quite a bit of contention between them and here Martha's <laughs> kind of skips over that and goes straight to just making fun of the doctor like Rose and Sarah Jane eventually got to and I guess that's just kind of a sign that both Martha and um, Donna are much more mature characters than Rose is which makes yeah. sense they're both older than she was yeah do you think in hindsight then has your opinion on Rose changed slightly since we've seen these new companions 
Because I know when we first watched that series, we were Rose's biggest fans mainly because of the way she treated her family down on Earth. And since we've had these new characters, I'm sort of starting to dislike her a little bit. I don't dislike Rose. I think that she worked within the context of the show's initial revival very well. Yeah. But I feel like it was necessary for the following companions to kind of do things notably different. Yeah. And I feel like it was necessary for the character of the Doctor to have those challenges faced through those companions. So I, I don't think, it's not a preference for me. It's just that at this stage in the series, we need this different kind of companion. Definitely, yeah. Um, I like the sequence in which Martha warns Donna about travelling with the Doctor and tells her to stay in touch with her family and just make sure they're safe. And that seems to be, even in today's sort of series, companions warning current companions about the dangers of traveling doctor, and it never ends happy. Even Jack with Yaz in the most recent Dalek special that we had, he's sort of saying, just be careful, don't get too attached, because it's not going to last forever sort of thing. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And obviously, series arc, we... Mm. Absolutely, and of course it's foreshadowing for where Martha... Uh, no, Donna ends up. Martha, yeah. of all the companions, Martha probably ends up the most okay. One thing that caught my interest in this is that there's a, it's a very unit-heavy couple of episodes with basically the two episodes revolving around unit and taking place at unit HQ and all this cool, fun stuff. Would you... I feel this would have been perfect with Tenant. what they did with John Pertwee, which is an, an Earthbound series in which the Doctor works for unit. I think a David Tennant series in which he had been earthbound and only could work with Unit would have been really good fun. On one hand, yes. But on the other hand, given kind of the limited amount of time get with each Doctor, I would feel bummed if we had to compromise a series of far-flung-off adventures across space and time to replace it with the Unit series. It would have been unique and it would have been interesting, yeah. Although I feel like what we would have lost would have been a lot more than what we would have gained, personally. Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of this episode reminded me a lot of Classic Who, not only because we had the Sontarans returning, but the use of Green Gloop, um, I thought was just very fun and very charming. Just a big bath of green slime that would not look out of place on... Um, uh, what's that? Get your own back. On something yeah. like that, one of those like classic nineties CITV game shows. What do you think to stuff like that on Doctor Who? Where I don't really question it, do you? It's just a big vat of green gloop. You go, oh yeah, that's spooky. If there's any BBC drama where you can have big vats of green gloop, it should be Doctor Who, and it should be accepted, and not just accepted but embraced. Yeah, like like I said, this is a very goofy episode that kind of fully embraces everything Doctor Who ever has been when it comes to the weird and wonderful and doesn't shy away from that and just has yeah. fun with it. And that works really well with the Sun Towns as well, which are just this very weird-looking space yeah. alien. We'll talk about them a little bit now, then. One thing I noticed is that when uh, the, the, the the leader of the Sun Towns, whatever his name is, is confronted by the two unit guys who he disables, he says, words are the weapon of women folk. <laughs> and I think, that despite that line being somewhat controversial, I think it, it's very well 
sums up this sort of uh, the intentions of a Sontaran and how it looks upon the world and its evilness and its sort of forward uh, thing. Do you know what I mean? Are there any females? Yeah. Bluntness. Yeah, I mean, are there even any female Sontaran? Does the Sontaran race have women? I I wouldn't believe so if Sontarans are clones of each other. Yeah, well, that explains the very short-minded worldview, doesn't it? It does. It does. I feel we could often use that clip and just leave it on Twitter comments from whenever it's perhaps like today, it's Jodie Whittaker's birthday. And you read some of the comments where people, for some reason, don't want Jodie Whittaker to have a nice birthday. Very strange. Um, what do you think to the one design fault in a Sontaran, which it can only be killed by hitting a little button on the back of its neck? I think it's cool. I think it's a cool concept. I think it's of the Sontaran, everything about Sontaran's kind of design and mythos, I think it's kind of the one most kind of, like that's like the core element to me. That's the heart of it. That sums up what they're all about. That they're a race kind of designed and an alien race created for warfare, and they're literally created in a way that means they have no choice but to, to live that life. Yeah. So it's just totally ingrained in them. What would you think to um, when they return later in series thirteen? If that was to be an element of their design that had changed, perhaps. So that you know, it would seem strange that after all these years they would keep that one design fault. I well, it's not a design fault for them. It's to encourage them to be brave soldiers. Like if they didn't have a design fault, they could just turn and run away. That's true. But I feel like if you remove that, you take away what makes a Sontaran a Sontaran. Yeah, that's true. I'm looking at the set photos here, and it does still seem to be that they have that on the back. I just Googled Doctor Who Series 13 Sontarans, and this picture for a video came up. I went, oh, that looks interesting. It says, oh, it's one of ours. Um, Doctor Who Series 13 <laughs> film with Sontarans, classic monsters return. Big on the inside YouTube, so go and check that video out. <laughs> um, you, you, Google apparently wants you to watch it, which is very charming. Um, one thing that I thought would have been a great inclusion in this episode is if that the Doctor had been reunited with Bessie, the third Doctor's classic yellow car, uh, because there is a sequence in which the Doctor is talking to the leader of Unit, who says, uh, well, the Doctor asks for a Land Rover, and then he replies with, don't you normally have your own murder transport? And I thought that should have then cut to the 10th Doctor with a big beaming smile on his face, whizzing around in Bessie. (laughs) I feel like they should have saved it for the finale. Like, after... Um, all the he just turns up control. Like, we, another Sontarans yeah. over like a skittle and it just whip spins off. Well, it would have made sense plot wise because all the high tech modern cars all have Atmos in them, so they can't use them, so they have to use Bestie. That would have been such a good idea. Why didn't they do that? That would have been great. Like, the Doctor suddenly reunited and it's sort of hidden from the audience. You don't really know what he's hunting for. And then, yeah, like a big action sequence and he just comes rattling in. <laughs> I think it would have been even funnier if it had been like like the doors of this cabin open, like a door of a garage. And it's like these big lights. Where he goes, Woof! And then, like, he just chuckers out, like, chicka, 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 chicka. <laughs> like, this is like really rubbish old car. <laughs> Another character which, another part of that era of Doctor Who, which unfortunately doesn't return, is uh, the Brigadier. He's mentioned by name, but left Bridge Stewart unfortunately does not make a physical appearance. That's true. At what point was he mentioned by name? I, that bit slipped in, past me. 
in the Poison Sky, where the doctor says what you need is a brigadier, no offence, and apparently he's stuck in Peru or something Oh, like yes, that. no, you are right, yeah. I know Nicholas Cortley, the actor, was still alive at this point, so it's a shame they didn't... He never really got that doctor mm-hmm. return. He does return in Sarah Jane, but... Um, so I because I know David Tennant really wanted to work with Courtney as well. Yeah, I saw an interview with Tennant in which he said one of his last Doctor Who things was the Sarah Jane adventures, in which it was the wedding of Sarah Jane and Nicholas Courtney was supposed to be there, but unfortunately was too ill to attend the filming, so he never did get to act with Nicholas Courtney, but, um, which is sad. But something about this episode which I think is really nice is when Donna returns home and uh, we get our second glimpse, second reappearance of, I'm going to say one of my favourite Doctor Who characters is Wilf, played by Bernard Cribbins. And there is a lovely moment in which he is so happy to see his granddaughter after so long. He just sort of wells up and they have this nice hug. And I love, I think we spoke about it last time we saw Wilf, but I love the friendship that Donna and Wilf have, that sort of sneakiness of keeping things hidden from Sylvia, Donna's mother, and that sort of, I think they really do well with that realistic grandparent sort of role of your grandparents being the cooler versions of your parents. They sort of let you stay up late and stuff like that. And I think they do a great job with Wilf in that regard. Like if Sylvia knew who the doctor was and that she was going flying, she wouldn't have any of it. But Wilf's almost sort of saying, do what I wish I could have done and just goes off flying. Yeah. It's impossible to watch Bernard Cribbins without cracking a big smile, especially when he's playing Wilf. He's just yeah. joyous. Exactly, right? Um, what do you think to that home dynamic? Because it sort of gets fleshed out a bit more. I know series one and two, one of our favourite things was when Rose would return home when we would get to meet Mickey and Jackie again. Um, so how? Do, what do you think when we get to meet Sylvia and Wilf again? It's cool that they are kind of like developing it. I feel like because... and. Um, Donna is kind of keeping it a secret from her mum. It's there's less of a kind of dynamic and a conflict to explore, but I feel like it's good that they've gone for that contrast to uh, earlier companions. Um, and it, it's just like refreshing and homely and nice when she comes home. And it's nice that kind of Donna has that impulse to return home, but she isn't constantly trying to get away like Rose or Martha was. Yeah. I feel like even though we've seen less of Wilf and Sylvia, I feel more invested and interested in their sort of stories than I do with Jackie almost. Jackie had a really cool sort of story of just being at home alone and that loneliness. But I feel like you are more watching Doctor Who now from Donna's point of view, whereas before you were watching it from Jackie's point of view. So you get to observe Sylvia and Wilf rather than be in their shoes almost. Interesting, yeah. Um, a dynamic as well that works really well in this episode is the friendship between the Doctor and Ross, um, one of the guys who works at Unit. Um, there's a sequence in which they go and visit Luke Rattinger. Rattinger? Rattinger? Mm. Uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, his academy. And they, uh, the way the Doctor is just so patronising to Luke and just sort of playing dumb for him and then sort of fires the teleporter and disappears and does that amazing intrude-the-window gag. It's just a really good 10th Doctor moment. I feel it's things like that that have really stapled themselves well with this incarnation of the character. Yeah, I feel like 
in a sense, the 10th Doctor in this episode with all the kind of wacky puns and little charismatic observations is kind of what most people remember the 10th Doctor being like as a kid. Um, and it, that, that just childish playfulness, it's just, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. And it, this is one of the few episodes that really just leans right into that and just has fun with it. And I really enjoy it. Yeah. There's also in this episode something that I don't know if it was deliberate, but I felt it was a nice call back to a Christmas invasion in which the doctor picks up a tennis ball and a racket and he bounces a ball off a wall and hits the Sontaran in the back of the neck, which reminded me of when the doctor throws a, a, a Satsuma and kills a Sycorax leader. Um, Tenth Doctor's got mad ball skills, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got good aim. <laughs> um, he also did it in um, Human Nature as well. Remember when he threw that um, cricket ball? He throws a cricket ball, yeah, you're right. I'd forgotten about that. Um, making his first on-screen appearance, I believe his first on-screen appearance in Doctor Who, is Dan Starkey, who would later become immortalised in Doctor Who as Strax, the Sontaran, alongside Matt Smith's 11th Doctor. But... Um, it's interesting to see him play a Sontaran in this and it not be Strax. Um, he's the other Sontaran who reveals his face um, in the episode. Did you pick up on that? They were played by the same actors? Yeah, I recognised the voice. because I'd say I recognised the face, but you can't recognise the face under all that prosthetic. Um, <laughs> That's true. It actually got me thinking about something about the Sontarans, which is, like I've already said, this is a very... A zany, goofy episode in all the best ways. And it is also the first episode in which we see the Sontaran return. Now, I feel like while the Sontaran were quite a formidable foe in Classic Key, from what I understand, in New Who, for the most part, they have been almost treated as a bit of a comic monster. Yeah. And I wonder if you think this episode is directly responsible for that, or do you think it's just because of kind of characters like Strax appearing later on and being used so frequently? I think Strax was brought in because he's it's funny to see a Sontaran who has sort of been brainwashed into humanness. Like he can be so aggressive about doing someone's laundry, and I think that's really funny. But I don't watch this episode and look at the Sontarans and go, Oh, what funny creatures. I do when I see them to be tiny little people. But when they're all chanting together and literally just being massively aggressive, I think they could be a really good foe. And I wish we got to see, and hopefully in Series 13, we get to see more stuff like that. Yeah, I do agree with that. Like, well, in this episode, they definitely make jabs at the Sontarans and their appearance and their size and yada yada. They are still a legitimate threat. They, you know, they almost destroy the Earth. Yeah. Um, is this a very rare occasion in which because the Doctor turned up, it's not actually his fault that things are going bad? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Doc- the Doctor saves the day here. Like, he's pretty heroic. Like, he, he destroys the smog. He He's willing to sacrifice himself to destroy the Sontaran ship. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get into we'll get a little bit more into that when we get to the Poison Sky. But, like, normally when the Doctor turns up, the reason things are going downhill is because he's turned up and stuck his nose in. That's not the case this time. It was already going downhill. He just happened to turn up. Well, he didn't happen to turn up. Martha called him. Ma- that's she was right, yeah, going that's down. Right, yeah. Um, there's a great shot in this episode where Luke and the Sontaran are looking out the window of the Sontaran ship and it pulls all the way out. And the, the end shot is the Sontaran ship looking over the air. But in that gap in between... There are some amazing CGI effects of other little small Sontaran ships where you can see the Sontarans inside all whizzing around space. And I think 
when, when we look back at series one and you look at the Slovene and then you look at this, the production value is insane. I know we spoke about that before and I really hope that we get some like production guys involved in this podcast, maybe some costume designers or VFX artists that we can come that can come talk to us. Um, but yeah, what do you think of stuff like that? I mean, yeah, it is incredible to see kind of that progression over the years. It isn't just CG getting better as the years go on, because there's only like a year between each of these. Like you can see more production is being put into this show as kind of the BBC clearly has more and more faith that Doctor Who is something worth investing in. Yeah. Um, let's talk about when, before we move on to the next episode, uh, the Doctor meeting Wilf again. I love the little interaction where they acknowledge the Christmas invasion, uh, they acknowledge Voyage of the Damned, and the fact that Donna is like, how how on earth do you know the Doctor, this little old dude from London? How does he know? It seems like everybody would know Wilf. Everybody who has ever sort of known Donna, everybody knows Wilf. I don't imagine Wilf could walk into the shops without someone knowing exactly who he was. And I love the Doctor. And I think we spoke about it in Partners in Crime, where he meets Donna and he remembers her and he remembers her name and stuff. When yeah. he meets Wilf again, he remembers who Wilf is. And he spoke to Wilf for like a minute at most, and he still remembers him. Yeah. That is so endearing. It's such a, it's a thing that really warms you to the Doctor. I really I don't like think he it. his name, though, did he? I think he introduces himself. No. He never learned Wilf's name. He's just yeah. like, it, it's you. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the nasty gas that starts killing everybody. Um, a nice, fun little cliffhanger there, I felt, um, where you probably did think Bernard Cribbins was going to die. Mm, yeah, he was really going for it when he was, like, acting all suffocating and dying and stuff. I was like, yikes. It was a bit hard to watch, quite frankly. One of the hardest things we've maybe seen in Doctor Who. Yeah, it's probably one of the most slightly realistic deaths isn't it where someone's suffocating on mm. gas but I couldn't help but watch it forgetting how it concluded going why is no one just going to smash that window why is nobody doing that I don't know yeah. why didn't anyone do that um, do you want to move on to episode 2 the poison sky Harry absolutely let's go uh, actually no we won't we'll do the quiz Patience is for winners. Oh, okay. Yep. Um, four yeah, questions for this episode of Doctor Who. Um, question number one. What is the name of the academy of which Luke runs? Uh, Zuckerberg High School. Ratican Academy. I don't think you're right, but let's keep going. In the pre-title sequence, when Donna is flying a TARDIS, she almost puts a dent in what decade? Um, 18th century? 1980. Oh, wait, no. 1980s. Bugger. I didn't even get the question right. <laughs> what? When Martha calls in unit, she gives the operation a name. What is the name of that operation? Who gives it a name? Martha. She says, Operation, Operation Something Go. Operation Atmos? I don't know. Blue Sky. Ah, oh, bugger. How many deaths were recorded in one day with cars linked to Atmos? Was it 19? 52. Ah, oh, bugger. Well, that's bad. That's the worst you've done this series, I think, zero out of four. 
Yeah, and there's more to come. There's more to come indeed. Oh, I hope you couldn't see the answers there. <laughs> no, I couldn't. Don't, right, don't okay. worry. And the poison ca- sky starts with um, Sylvia saving the day by smashing the car window and rescuing Bernie Cribbins. Um, I don't know why she smashed the front windscreen of the car. Why didn't she just smash one of the side ones? Um, a smaller one that would have been easier and cheaper to replace. And also, why does she have an axe for burglars? <laughs> um, we needed to resolve the cliffhanger. Oh, okay, sorry. I didn't pick up on that. <laughs> <laughs> It was at this point I started to realise that this is one of the first mid-season two-parters um, that isn't boring me or feels dragged out. I was thinking that this is probably one of the most well-paced two-parters we've had, where neither episode feels like it's lacking because of it being a two-parter. Like It just packs loads into both parts. Yeah. I'm just looking here at two-parter episodes of Doctor Who, so let's have a look. Um, list of Doctor Who televised stories are going to be forever. Is it every single one? Or is it just New Who? Um, oh, jeez. It starts with an unearthly child. <laughs> Let's keep going. Like Here we go. You've fallen down a rabbit hole, Tim. So the first one we had was Aliens of London and World War Three. I enjoyed that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, Likewise. Yeah. Then it was The Empty Child, The Doctor Dances, which is fantastic. But I, I wasn't... You tend to get two mid-season two-parters, mm. but I always think the first one is usually the most boring. But Aliens of London World War Three was great. Mm. Rise of the Cybermen Age of Steel was okay, but it and it was a lot better than Impossible Planet and Satan's Pit. Mm. And then in this series, we now ha- uh, then we had Daleks in Manhattan Evolution of Daleks. Something that was really dragged out. And then Human Nature, Family of Blood, which is fantastic. Fantastic. And we have the Sontaran Stratagem and the Poison Sky. But yeah, it's one of the only two parts where I've sort of felt it deserved to be two stories. Yeah, absolutely. It really justifies its length just through the sheer amount of stuff going on. Yeah. Um, it's also at this point in the episode that Martha has been cloned and there is now a clone of Martha going around. I like the fact that they don't make the Doctor play dumb. He knows right from the off that that's not Martha Jones. And as an audience mm. member, you can tell that he's sort of... He's just trying to quiz this clone almost. He's trying to pick it, pick it apart and doubly make sure it's not Martha by asking her, like, human questions about her family and things like that. Obviously, the Doctor's a smart guy. And while they often show that just through kind of technical science know-how... It is cool when you see him actually kind of use just some like real initiative and sussing stuff out like that. Yeah. Um, we touched about it just a minute ago, in which the doctor is sort of when he's winding Luke up. He also does the same with the Sontarans, where he's sat on sat on a chair of his feet of watching telly and he's just flicking through the channels every time the Sontarans start to annoy him. Um I really mm. like that sort of aspect to him because these villains and maybe that's what you were hinting at before when you said that are these sort of comical villains. I suppose they are, in a sense, depending on whose point of view you look at it from. I feel like the Doctor makes them comical through his just dismissal of them. I mean, I feel like the reason for his dismissal is because they're a species centred entirely on war and warfare and artillery and gunfire and all that. And that is the one thing that the Doctor makes a real point of hating in this episode. He does, yeah. 
Um, also, by this point, the Sontarans have stolen the TARDIS with, with Donna inside, which leads to a fun sequence in which the Doctor is communicating to Donna um, via video chat without the Sontarans actually realising what he's doing. And it reminded me a lot of Series 2, the Cyberman episodes, in which the Doctor is communicating with Mickey about mobile phone, where Mickey and Jake are on a blimp, and he's looking and trying to give hints to Mickey to text a certain number and all that stuff. Yes, I knew it reminded me of something, and that's what it was. I quite like that aspect of Doctor. I wish they would do more stuff like that. Obviously, you can't do it all the time because it's quite a limiting you know, situation that you can find yourself in. But it's definitely a fun sort of cleverness where the audience are involved in something and they can see something evolving quicker than those actually on screen. 100%, yeah. Um, a character we haven't really spoken about is Luke. What do you think of Luke? Yes. Uh, I think Luke is a very fun one-off character. And considering that they were very aware he was a one-off character with where he ends up, um, I feel like they didn't shirk on him. Like he gets a full arc. The actor puts in a really fun, memorable performance. I think Luke's a win. Yeah, he's like the British Kylo Ren. Well, he's American. Yeah, but the the actor Reese Samson who plays him is uh, British. Oh, okay, yeah. okay. You might know him from plebs. Like, yeah, that kind of like yeah. spoiled prince type thing, yeah. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? Yeah. Plebs. I never watched plebs. Yeah, it's good. Um, I'm just looking through here in my notes. Um, are you my mummy? That's a nice little callback. Yes, it's weird hearing the Tenth Doctor say that. But of course he experienced it, but it's still weird. It is, because we don't get much callbacks to that first series, really. I can understand why. From a story point yeah. of view, you kind of want to separate that, I guess. But yeah, I often forget that. Yeah. We got callbacks in series the same person. Yeah, yeah, we got callbacks to series two in series one, but that's probably because a lot of series two was written with Chris in mind. Yeah. Um, but after that, it does pretty much the tenth Doctor really only recalls events from his own life as the Doctor, if mm. you will. So yeah, um, it's interesting. Yeah, there's a really cool scene in which the Doctor hypes up Donna, where she's sort of getting a bit nervous that she thinks she can't do something. And the Doctor's on the phone saying she can do it, and he's sort of like this really sort of good hype man. I think I, I yeah, really like that friends, aspect. Love to Doctor. see it. I think it's a really good sort of character thing that he does. Why don't you support me like that, Tim? Um, right? Because say I can't I do something. You just say, no, you can't. You're probably right. Yeah, no. Uh, that makes anything. sense. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, what did you think to the Sontaran's portrayal of Luke? Because Luke, for these two episodes, is this sort of, like you said, spoiled prince character. And all of a sudden, he gets betrayed by the Sontaran's and he has that realisation where he basically has a breakdown. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's interesting that the Sontaran's actually revealed that much to Luke. Like, I, mean, I kind of suggest that once they're done with Luke, they'll probably kill him too, right? Yeah, I imagine they were going to, yeah, because they were going to kill his students, weren't they? Yeah. And then he only manages to escape because they were about to kill him. Mm. Yeah. Um, the Return of the Valiant, that was a nice little um, 
world building thing. I like the fact that they do start instead of just bringing in a new ship. They're like, oh well, in this world, of course, they're still going to have this big, um, a this big spacecraft thing, this big giant flying landing plane thing. And I like the fact that that gets brought back. Also, thinking from a production standpoint, it means you can reuse the model from the uh, yeah reuse last the series. graphic model. Yeah, so it's world building and you save money. Everyone wins. You'd be a good producer, Harry. Um, but a question I have for you is: if if you had a clone, Harry, what would you do with it? I would not be friends with him. I've, I don't think I'd get along with my clone. <laughs> Why not? I feel like if I knew my if myself was another person i met them i'd see all the things that i dislike about myself and they would really stand out yeah i just don't feel like i'd get along with them yeah i agree also we'd have nothing to say to each other because we're the same person yeah but you'd experience different things not at the start at the start we'd have nothing to say to each other well you could send him off to do stuff and ask him what it was like all right, I guess. But what, then I feel like I'm missing out. What if I want to do that stuff? Well, you can go and do stuff as well. I'm not saying you don't have to. Then you can come back and we'll talk about your day. Yeah, Which is why I your feel... marriage failed, Harry. Yeah, I'm just jealous of my wife. She always sounded like she was having a much better time than me. <laughs> uh, um, the doctor at the end of this episode, he's about to sacrifice his own life. Um, I quite like that aspect that he loves Earth so much. He loves his friends that like he would do something like that. But it also did make me think: mm. could they? Could, could he not have just done something else? Because <laughs> I think there is a moment where Martha says, "Can't you just put a delay on it?" And he just goes, "I can't." And I'm like, yeah, "You can." <laughs> Don't lie. I mean, you need that dramatic. You know, it was the same thing I was saying about the cliffhanger. You need to have that. Um, you know that emotional climax, and also you needed to give uh, Luke that uh, arc being fulfilled with his sacrifice. That's true. Um, let's jump to the end of the episode, in which Martha is back on board the TARDIS and is whisked away on a new adventure. Um, I like the fact that she doesn't want to be there. She's telling the Doctor yeah. to stop and take her home, rather than go, "Yay, another one!" She's going, "Fuck this! Get me off this right away!" <laughs> yeah. Also, probably one this the scene just before Wilfus kind of makes a comment about like remember to come back to your granddad and stuff. Yeah. Why didn't Donna bring Wilf along? He clearly wished he could go with. I don't know. Maybe a bit too dangerous. Maybe and Donna's not stupid. She knows it can be dangerous, but she's obviously not going to tell people. Yeah. That. Maybe she. I guess. If he were to come, that he would talk her out of it. Maybe. That's true. That's true. That's true. You'd have a cracking time, though. Yeah. Um, I also think a cracking time would be another quiz. You, you, not me. I hate being patient. Patience is for wimps. Whoa! Okay, let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, get one only three right questions this time, this time, so no need to panic too much. Question number one, what is the name of the cartoon that the Doctor switches on whilst the Sontaras are talking? Was that a real cartoon? Yes. I thought it was just some... Nope, I what's it called? Zip Zap. I don't know. Tommy Zoom. Tommy Zoom? What the heck's Tommy Zoom? What was Ross's 
code name? What was Ross's unique code name? Gala. <laughs> Greyhound 40. Oh. <laughs> what right. is the device, what is the name of the device the Doctor takes up onto the Sontaran ship? The plot device. The atmospheric converter. Harry. Zero I I failed. Seven. Zero out of seven. Turtles got to zero out of seven. I'm sorry, Tim. Uh, what are we gonna do I'm so sorry. Uh, let's move I'm on. So, so past the episode. Did you enjoy it episode? did you enjoy this episode, Harry? Yes, I did. More than I thought I would. Yes, same here, same here. Um, what would you like to recommend? Before I go, I just want to tell you... you were I've been listening. It's hard to pin down one specific album. I've been listening to a lot of Queen recently. Cool. To the surprise of nobody. Um, <laughs> I want to recommend the final studio album from Queen, uh, Made in Heaven. Yeah. It was uh, made in 1995. Um four years after the death of Freddie Mercury, and it consisted of kind of the, the last thing. Ayo! Go on. Sorry. It consists of some of the... It's kind of a mixture of, kind of some of the very last things that Freddie recorded being turned into songs, um, some of Freddie's solo hits being turned into Queen songs, and also kind of just half-formed songs or kind of like kind of B-side songs being developed further. And it's just a very lovely, touching kind of tribute to Freddie. And it's a very uplifting, positive-sounding, fun album. Kind of Brian May describes it as a fantasy because it's kind of, when you listen to it, it sounds like Freddie and the whole band were there jamming out together as always. But obviously it wasn't. But it's yeah. just a very, I feel like it was just a very touching tribute. And it's there's some good songs on there, which no one really, people kind of forget that there was an album after Innuendo. But there was, and there's some pretty good stuff. Well, I'm also recommending some music. Um, I've been going back and listening to a lot of McFly and a lot of Busted, obviously McBusted as well, uh, but listening to a lot of that early 2000s British pop punk stuff, which I love. Um, I love Busted. I mean, they're one of my How many times bands. have you seen Busted Live? I've seen Muck Busted twice, and I saw the first Busted Reunion tour, yeah. Three? Wow. Just because they're, they're, just, they're just great, fun shows, especially the Muck Busted ones. They were just so hyper-coloured. I mean, the, the first Muck Busted tour started with the members of Busted coming on stage in a DeLorean from the sky. <laughs> That's brilliant. And then... That tour ended with them jumping into a portal, and then the second tour started with them in the portal, exiting exiting the portal by like one of those Mario mushroom things. That's incredible. Yeah. So it was it's just... incredible that it's incredible that the two um pop punk bands of the early two thousands were huge Back to the Future fans. Yeah. Well, I mean the band's called Muckfly. It's named after yeah, yeah, Muckfly. Yeah. And then, and then the Busted's biggest hit, Year 3000, makes reference to a flux capacitor. It does. It does indeed. Greatest film of all time. Um, yeah, so thank you very much for listening, everybody. Uh, we will be back next week with what, Harry? Oh, heck, it is The Doctor's Daughter, the episode that people 
don't actually talk about the episode itself, just the fact that David Tennant married the lady, who is also Pete Davidson's daughter. When we get to that next week, we will try our hardest not to mention that at all. Let's see if we can actually talk about something else. Yeah, let's actually do that. Let's see if we can talk about the Doctor's daughter without mentioning all the meta stuff. That's true. And also next week, a podcast announcement. Dun, dun, dun. Um, So make sure you stick around to hear that as well. So uh, I'll say goodbye. Try everybody. Thanks for listening. Harry, what do you want to say now? Bye-bye. Make sure you subscribe to the official Bigger on the Inside podcast.